Welcome back to Walk with TFB. Tim Bryson here, and as y'all know, I'm a Black millennial who's eager to have unfiltered conversation with authentic people centered on international education, global sport, and Black culture. Uh, similar to a lot of these episodes this season, this guest and really this episode has been in the making for a number of years. Um, it was not on purpose nor coincidental that it happened this way, but it did in this episode and this timing is certainly on purpose. Now, I know this individual really since my grad school days back at Ohio State, uh, which, I, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about in the beginning. Um, but this person, as y'all know, then see the name, see the face, um, is someone who is truly carving out and amplifying the experiences of a student population, um, a subpopulation in the college sports space uh, that quite honestly, all of us need to be more aware of, uh, need to invest in, um, and also recognize our role in helping to amplify and create an experience in college sport um, that is equal, uh, if not equitable to the experiences of their peers around them. But like I said, it's not my episode. This is my friend's episode. And so without further ado, y'all help me welcome Amari Dryden to the podcast. What's popping, homie? Thank you so much. It's so good to see you. And yeah, we've known each other for like seven years now. So wild to believe it's been that long. That's what I'm saying. So, so hold on, take us back, yo. So for those who follow me on LinkedIn, I don't, I don't think I posted that. So I apologize. I need to post that joint on LinkedIn about what you when you came to our class. That might be tomorrow's post. But nevertheless, take us back because I know we talked about it in class, but take us back. Were you in ELI, you said? Yes, for a hot second, I was in ELI, um, and I literally for a hot second, like maybe a month, I was in ELI because, and I'll get into this when I talk about my story. But your girl tries to do too much sometimes, and yeah. in college, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do all the things and take advantage of everything. And so uh-huh. ELI had heard such great things about it, had friends who had done it. Was like, yeah, I'm gonna do that knowing there's no way I can really fit that into my schedule. So I tried really hard to do that. But then, you know, mental health takes a toll on you. Um, So having to quit ELI, honestly, I will say low-key saved my life because had I not had I continued doing ELI, I would not have been able to go to Ohio State's therapy. So mm. I had to take a step back from something I really wanted to do to take care of my mental health. So, and I'm still here and we still got to connect. So I think I got blessing. what I needed out of ELI, which was you. That's a blessing. No, appreciate you sharing that even to start this conversation. So you were there for a month. That was probably my first semester. I had no clue what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> and they know, everyone knows that. But uh, you, we were still connected throughout our time there? like Yeah. Like just That's the wild. first meeting. I feel like we're doing collages or something. And yeah, I was talking about athletics and you're like, oh, you want to do that? I want to do that. And so that's how our conversation oh. kind of got started and how our friendship blossomed. And here we are. <laughs> It's a blessing. Wow. Well, segment one, man, let's get right into it. Now, you started to share a little bit uh, about your time at Ohio State, alma mater, of course. Uh, But Amario, for the people that may not know or those that need to know more about you, what's your story? Yeah, I was reflecting on this when I was driving back from Ohio State this past weekend because I went to homecoming, driving Mm -hmm. back to Nashville. Like, what do I want to say? (laughs) And I realized how much college sports impact is or impacted and impacts so both past tense and present tense my life 
as a non-student athlete. So I did not grow up playing sports. I am competitive, I will tell you that, but sports was not in the cards in terms of playing, but Mm -hmm. just being a fan. So I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Both of my parents went to the University of Louisville, also worked there for the majority of my childhood. We Mm -hmm. lived like two miles away from campus. So I was just always in that college setting. And then we also were just big sports fans too. So grew up being a U of L fan and an Ohio State fan. And looking back, I was like, almost everything we did revolved around sports in some Mm. way. And so it makes so much sense that I now work in this space. Um, But, and that's also how I got into wanting to support Native American student athletes. Um, But I like to call myself really just a student athlete advocate because, and I've always been that way from my adolescence to now of, I remember I love going to U of L games, all the different sports and just love the student athletes. Like it wasn't Mm -hmm. even the game necessarily that I loved. It was just getting to support student athletes and whatever that, whatever sport they were playing and what they were doing. I was always interested in learning where are they from? Why do they play their sport? What are they majoring in? What do they want to do in in life? So it makes Mm -hmm. sense. I'm now the director of career development for an athletic department. Mm -hmm. Um, But just growing up, I always felt that way. Like I remember, I think it's maybe like eighth grade and my dad gotten me the University of Louisville men's basketball media guide back when they like Mm -hmm. actually printed those out and you would go to places and like have the athletes sign them and stuff. And I would quiz myself on the roster of, Okay, and so I have specific teams and I'm like, that's my team. I can name so many things about them because I was quizzing myself on them. Like, all right, Peyton Siva, freshman, number three, yeah. Seattle, Washington, went to Franken High School, father Peyton Siva Sr., sister Leilani, brother Michael, major in communication. What? I still remember that. And also, fun fact, that team of U of L men's basketball just did the basketball tournament this past summer. So I got to see them play again. So it just made my heart sing, specifically Peyton Siva. Yeah, <laughs> but so that was just how I've always been of wanting to support student athletes and wanting Mm -hmm. to know what are you doing afterward I saw them as my family I saw them as my siblings my older siblings I'm the oldest and I'm also eight and a half years older than my brother so I pretty much spent my life as or the adolescence as an only child so Mm -hmm. student athletes were seen as my siblings and I considered Mm -hmm. them my family so lots of lots of tears were done because of tears were shed because of games and all of that because I'm like no they're sad so that makes me sad and you know navigating that but that was kind of how I got into Native American student athletes which was because of Shoni and Jude Schimmel who were two women's basketball players who played at UofL when I was in high school and just learning about their story and their experience at UofL but also prior and then coming to the university I'm like oh I want to learn more about them and when they got to the final four and I think the 20. 12 to 13 season mm-hmm. that was the first time native american or any native american student athlete had been on a team in men's or women's basketball that had gone that far mm-hmm. i'm like mm-hmm. how was that possible <laughs> like i know native people play basketball like res ball is a thing why is it that 
we don't have Native Americans at that D1 level. Um, and also recognizing seeing Shoney and Jude, because, you know, U of L women's basketball is great. Like, we don't have any national championships, sad face, but we're up there. Um, but I remember on Shoney's senior night, and we play at the KFC Yum Center, which our men's and women's basketball teams play at the same arena, which I appreciate. Nope. Um, it's 22,000 people sold out. I would say probably at least 70% were Native Americans there just to see Shoney and Jude on, or specifically Shoney's last regular season home game. Hearing people say, oh, I came from Alaska, or it took me two flights in a bus to get here so traveling 20 hours for a hour and a half game like that just meant so much to me but also seeing how much it meant to the native community I was like this cannot be it it can't just be Shoney and Jude so we've got to get that going more and so that's where my kind of passion and advocacy for Native American student-athletes came into play and that's where I want to have my entire career fall under that category so that's my story well okay this is that was beautifully said and just to clarify that sold out game where people were flying all around the center of the world to come that was 2012 ish that was like 2013 so before you went to before college. yes this was when I was in high school so like right before I went to college so you saw that obviously piqued your interest in the game, something that you that has never gone away and will never probably go away. Yeah, you go to Ohio State and somehow find yourself in Fisher, I'm assuming, the business yes. school. Yeah. So just talk us through before we get to segment two. Why, like, what was, you know, you want to work in sports and athlete development, whatever was uh-huh. that called at that time, but you in Fisher? Like, what's up? Yeah. So <laughs> my 18 year old brain was like, in part of this, I'm not going to blame my dad, but he had a, a part of it too. But he's like, you know, business degree, you can do anything with that. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. true. Also in my 18 year old brain, I'm like, well, if I don't work in sports, why would, or if I happen to not be able to work in sports, why would, then I'm not able to do anything with that degree. Mm. In hindsight, I'm like, that's, a load of BS. Mm-hmm. But in mm-hmm. my brain, it was like, oh, well, yeah, let me do business. And then I'll go to grad school for what I actually care about. So grad school mm-hmm. is always something I wanted to do as well. Like that's how I actually got to Ohio State was because my mom got her master's at OSU and I was born at Ohio State's hospital. So I can literally say I was born a Buckeye. And so it was more so let's do something businessy. That's what my dad does. Um, so then I fell into accounting because wow. that's what my dad does. Yeah. The accounting route was like, oh, this is fine. Like, I like math. Like, it wasn't bad. But then it got to the point where I didn't like it anymore. And it was too late to switch. So I had to suffer through majoring in accounting. The sport industry <laughs> program at OSU was new. So I was like, oh, we don't know what's going on over there. It's really hard to get into Fisher mm-hmm. outside, like once you're in Ohio State. So I was directly admitted as in yeah. going into OSU. So I was mm-hmm. like, let me just, you know, use the clout of Fisher College of Business on this resume and then go into grad school for what I actually care about. But then I did not listen to myself and did my accounting internships and then worked <laughs> in public accounting full time for less than a year. Because, it? again, it was a situation of 
I use the analogy, it's like I made it to the league, but I hate playing my sport. It looks so great on the outside, but on the inside, you're like, I hate my life. <laughs> so that was me in public accounting working at EY. Um, so then I was like, I got to make a pivot. And I did that. No other job lined up. It was just I, mental health means a lot to me and this job ain't it. So quit didn't move home but started working with my mother a little bit in the nonprofit she worked at and mm -hmm. then was like well let me start applying to grad school and was figuring out do I want to go sport administration do I want to mm -hmm. go higher ed and mm -hmm. I, I you did higher ed and also made the distinction of if I know I want to work in college athletics and if I can't work with student athletes I'd rather work with students than athletes. Mm. So that's where I made that decision of let me go that HESA higher ed route versus mm. sport management or sport administration. Did that at OSU because I'm like, I don't feel like moving away from Columbus. Yeah, <laughs> but also yeah. HESA's program was fabulous. Yeah. And then that's kind of how I made that transition into college sports. So that's what it ended up looking like. Good. So then before we get directly into talking more about Native American athlete experiences, this is a question I'm curious about personally, and I'm not trying to be in your pockets, but as someone who has a sibling who worked for Big Four and know how much money they were making to then say, I'm cool with this and go in a different career where at least on <laughs> perceivably the money's not the same. I'll just leave it at that. Obviously, you mentioned mental health is important, but whether it be the conversation with your dad or even conversation with other influencing, you know, people around you, what was that process like just being able to communicate like that's not it for me no more? Again, protecting mental health and whatnot. There's other areas more important for a number of different reasons. Just talk to us more about that conversation. I think for those, whether it be students or others looking to pivot, I mean, it could be a benefit to them as well. Of course. Yeah, it was a situation. I can say money doesn't buy happiness, but it does buy comfort. Like, mm. At EY, we were getting paid bi-monthly, or not bi-monthly, bi-weekly. Um, and so my first paycheck covered rent, utilities, everything. Second Jesus. paycheck, just savings. <laughs> or yeah. I never actually spent it all, but yeah. <laughs> was like, oh, let me just buy some stuff because, <laughs> hey, I've got the money for it. Um, yeah. So I will say that is having that padding is because I'm a relatively frugal person. Like I'm not one to just splurge on everything. Um, not a very materialistic person, definitely more the experiences side, yep. but like I've got a decent amount in my savings because of that. So yeah. I'm able to, was able to still live and survive in Columbus without essentially having a real job during that time. Or, you know, when COVID hit, cause that's when I started grad school in August of 2020, essentially moved home to live with my mom. And I was able to pay for both my rent back in Columbus, even though I wasn't living there and pro help provide with like groceries and stuff like that. Mm. When I lived with my mom. So that was a blessing of, okay, I saved a, a decent amount of money so that I can still live while having a lesser salary. I mean, the salary that I have now is a little bit in number it's a little bit higher than what I was making at EY but cost of living in Nashville is drastically higher than in Columbus yeah. Ohio so <laughs> that's where it's like okay now I have credit card debt a little bit but I do have savings still <laughs> so I'm still yeah, you, navigating that 
and you got your mental too, which, as you mentioned, yes. that's most that's yes. that's most important. Mm-hmm. And so, segment two, um, you mean you you mentioned this a little bit uh, in regards to how you got introduced to the this athlete community, the student population. Uh, but I'm curious, especially because as you started grad school, right? Uh, unlike myself, I didn't know anything. Was not even considering international athletes in grad school. You knew going in, like which who you wanted to study alongside, right. what you want to focus or you know your work on. But going into higher ed program at any school, Native American students, let alone athletes, there's like there might be a page or two in the book if there's right. a book, right? So like just and again, understanding grass was very pivotal in shaping obviously where you are now, Vandy. So like, what was that two year experience like? Knowing going in, like I want to focus on Native Native American athlete experiences. I want to make their life better in college. But how did you find support? Obviously, you went the thesis route. Just talk to us more about that process in grad school. Yeah, of course, I was able to do any of the assignments we had, I made it either about Native American college students or about student athletes, because that was kind of the thought process of, well, if I'm going this thesis route, I need to be doing research Mm -hmm. while I'm doing classwork. Like it has to all be in one. It can't be two Mm -hmm. separate things. Mm -hmm. So, and I made that decision for the thesis the second semester of that first year because you really kind of have to declare that early of are you doing the case exam or are you doing the thesis and in my brain hindsight do I am I happy I did the thesis yes it was a lot of work though um compared to what my peers had to do for the case exam I ain't gonna lie on that but mm-hmm. I knew that I would enjoy it more because with the case exam was oh you get a prompt and you got two weeks to do it, but you don't know what the prompt is until you get it. I'm like, my mm-hmm. anxious ass is like, oh, absolutely <laughs> not. I need to know what I'm going to be writing about. So I was like, I'd rather write over a long course of long period of time versus not know and just hope for the best. So that mm-hmm. was my kind of thought process there. And eventually was like "Hmm, maybe I could do PhD so I have been ruminating on that a little bit more as of late um just to make that transition but initially when I talked to my advisor I'm like when she asked oh do you have a topic in mind I told her like really interested in Native American student athletes and kind of gave my spiel there she was like oh you could take that to tenure and I'm like what I'm not thinking about being a professor like what are you talking about and Mm -hmm. then fast forward I'm like oh yeah I could do the PhD couldn't I or oh I could be a professor like I'm actually Mm -hmm. more seriously thinking about that what I want to teach necessarily I don't know it's probably more like the research route in Mm -hmm. the when people do PhDs, but then become like more practitioners, mm-hmm. that's probably what I would want to do versus, all right, now I'm going to go teach in a athletic studies program or a HESA mm-hmm. program. And we're focusing mm-hmm. on that. Um, yep. So that's where my utilizing HESA to jumpstart my career in Native American student athletes came about. But yeah, there's not much literature on, there's, I will say there's I don't want to say zero, but very little, little, very, very little, little literature about Native American student athletes. When I was first looking, I found one dissertation and was like, yes, there's a dissertation. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, there's only one. Mm-hmm. How? So I was looking through I'm like, all right, what is this woman's references? And woman, Dr. Elise Ali Joseph, she ended up then becoming the mentor for my thesis because I reached out oh. to her and was like, 
hey, I see you did this. She was a Native American athlete herself at the D1 level. I was like, hey, I'm interested in this. See that you did it. And now she's a faculty athletic rep at Northern Arizona. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad somebody else wants to pick up the torch and do this work. Because she published her dissertation, I think in like 2013. So right around the time that Shoni and Jude were in college but I don't I can't remember she included them at all in her work she might have but and then found one other dissertation later on from another woman um Dr. Natalie Welch again she became another mentor for my thesis so Mm -hmm. I had two indigenous women who had done research on this role before and then had them inform this work and then luckily enough had my chair of my thesis committee at for the OSU's HESA program. She used to work at Oklahoma and had done work with indigenous people there. So she was Mm. helpful in being able to say, all right, I don't know a lot about the athletic side, but I can talk about the indigenous side. So that Mm. was helpful because I know if I did, a person was like, oh, I only know the athletic side. The native part is almost more important than the sport Mm -hmm. part. So I need Mm -hmm. somebody to help me with that. So that's kind of how I used my... He's a program to do all of this. This is good. And so as you're going through the thesis process, as well as having these conversations with whether it be future mentors, current native athletes, et cetera, what have you found? Right? What are you finding as it relates to their experience, um, opportunities for athletic departments to better support them? But just generally speaking, just give us some uh, in, you know, in, uh, introduction to what you're finding and or have found yeah. to this point. Yeah, thinking about my thesis, so I was able to have three participants. I wanted them to all be current student athletes, but that didn't happen. So we have one current student athlete and then two former, and it kind of worked out to where one was a sophomore, one had been out of school about 10 years, the other had been out of school about 20 years. So kind of was able to look at it from a timeline standpoint of, okay, the person who was struggling with things 20 years ago, oh, some of those things that they struggled with are still happening today why is that? Or what does that look like? So a lot of the times people had mentioned that, or the people that I interviewed, they were the only Native people in their community. They grew up in predominantly white situations or communities to where the only Native people were their family. And they also all were of mixed race descent. So it was like one parent was Native and the other parent was something else. So that's a whole other thing that we can get into of like mixed race versus full-blooded. And like, I don't even want to use that terminology of just, it's almost the reverse of the one drop rule for Black people in in that regard. Um, But for a couple of the folks, it was around like because my thesis is about how did you pick the college that you chose? So college choice. And then what was your experience both academically and athletically at your institution? So one of them was like, I'm picking a place that has a Native American studies program. That's Mm. the only colleges that I'm looking at because I want to use education to help my community and learn more about myself. So Mm. that was one person's thought process. Another one was, I just want something that's relatively close to home and is a good athletic program. Other was more their major, like this is the major that I want and it doesn't matter if they have resources for my identity or not. Um, A lot of the times either the school had, and this was kind of the spectrum because of the participants I had, one school had a 
bunch of different resources, had the a bunch of faculty, had a lot of resources for Native students. One, there was literally none, and it was in a place where it's a state that has like seven different reservations or like the closest mm. reservations 45 minutes away. So it's like, why would you not have resources for a place that has a large native population? The math is not mathing there. And then other one was, oh, they have a native American cultural center, but because of my sport, I'm not able to go to their events. So that was some of the research and findings that I saw was either folks didn't know how the recruiting process went and we're just kind of finding schools and we're like, yeah, this will work. Or no, I definitely want something that's going to foster my native identity. And yay, I found a school that did that. So it was kind of a different ends of the spectrum, so to speak, of, yes, they are helpful in mm. my identity versus, yeah, I'm just out here by myself. I'm the only Native person in the athletic department, and I'm just having to operate like everything's fine. Mm, and you completed this thesis when? I finished it May of 22, so last year. So that so was yeah. a whole other thing of finishing my, writing my thesis, while working for Vanderbilt and taking two graduate level classes all at the same time. You did so it. So my thesis could have looked a lot better <laughs> had I had better time management, but also didn't anticipate getting a full-time job my last semester of grad school. So Proof. so one one thing I've always told you when you especially especially when you first reached out, I mean literally years ago at this point, I'm like, more people need to hear about this. Like more people need to know about this. And so I know you presented at N4A this past summer, 2023. Mm -hmm. And right? the summer before that too. So and, and 22. So I guess to talk to us more about either like the response, you know, as you're presenting in front of these folks, but then also like what can we be doing to continue to amplify this work, right? Can at least amplify their experience and then get into a place mm -hmm. where we can have conversation about where we can improve, which we'll talk to uh, in just a second. Right. Yeah. So I think in terms of the reactions, it was more, oh, I never thought of this <laughs> or, mm -hmm. oh, I don't think we like do I I don't even know if we have any Native American student athletes in our camp on in our athletic department, because that's a whole other piece of if you don't have them, you may not be thinking about that. So that's part of what I hope to do in my job or career is make sure that institutions have that cultural awareness and are culturally competent to mm. where you can, will get Native American student athletes coming to want to mm. be at your institution versus, all right, now we have one. We've got to create all this stuff from the ground up because we didn't have the infrastructure already in place. Mm. So that was something that a number of people had reached out to me or followed up after the presentation or when I talked at the research showcase, the last in foray of, oh, I wasn't aware of these types of things or they're thinking like, oh, when are you going to write a journal article about it? I'm like, can I do my job first? Mm -hmm, <laughs> so those mm -hmm. types of things. I'm like, also, what's the audience of who's actually reading journal articles? Not probably the people who are doing the work. So that's a whole other tangent. But I think with the people who have expressed interest, it's more along the lines of, I have these base level knowledge of, oh, land acknowledgements are a thing now. Mm -hmm. How can we do those? Or just also 
microaggressions against Native Americans. Like a lot of people don't know microaggressions, what they are, and they happen every day and they're in just everybody's vernacular. And I have to, I have to be the person to be like, so we shouldn't say that. And mm-hmm. here's why. And because people don't know. So I can't fault people at that of you don't know what you don't know. But now I want to be that advocate to say, hey, I'm going to broadcast it from the rooftops, which I do need to do a better job of. I know that. And hopefully this podcast will will help with it. Um, right. But just helping people realize, hey, even if you don't have any Native American student athletes at your institution, wouldn't you want some just to kind of increase that diversity? They have a different life experience than a lot of other people same thing with all student athletes have different life experiences but you want to really have that holistic look at the athletic experience and so having native american student athletes can help with that so doing Mm. different or seeing what's happening in your communities maybe it's not the college doesn't have things but what if your community does like nashville's about to have a powwow in a couple weeks of all right well i'm going to make sure i'm going to go to that and advertise that to student athletes because they also need volunteers it's like all right let's take a group of student athletes to go volunteer at a powwow or it's like oh i didn't know what a powwow was like just kind of getting that cultural knowledge around it because you know i'm done the research on Mm -hmm. oh it's not being native american or being a tribal member it's not just a racial designation it's a political designation of you know when you talk about oh the dene nation in the arizona area and that part that's not just oh it's a community like no they operate at the sovereign level like it's the dene and the federal government the u.s federal government who have to talk about things like that's why it's so bad with the murdered and missing indigenous women of we're not able to prosecute people because it's not at the state level it has to be at the federal government level and people don't realize that so there are loopholes that people are killing folks and making them disappeared and we can't even do anything about it because it's like oh well it's above us it's above our jurisdiction and it's an endemic to where people are bringing awareness about it but are we actually doing anything about it are we finding these women are we able to help them in that regard so and it's also not just the u.s like it happens in canada as well because mm-hmm this is turtle island as they like to call it of we don't we're not big on boundaries it's all land and that's a whole other thing we could do a whole podcast on that but just my knowledge of like a word vomit it at people and so i just need to figure out a way to make it more knowledgeable um make people more knowledgeable and kind of put it in bite-sized chunks of oh did you know Mm. that xyz Um, Just so people are aware and, you know, earlier this week was Indigenous Peoples Day, which not everybody celebrates that because it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's Columbus Day. I'm like, "Mm." Mm -hmm. so that's a whole other thing too, like advocacy and protesting. That's my shit. So I I enjoy those types of things, but not everybody does. No, this is good. So let me, let me ask you this, because one thing I've realized in my own work with around international, with international athletes is like what I'm advocating for quite literally is in opposition to immigration policy in the United mm. States. And that's something that just hit me probably two weeks ago. And I'm like, whoa, 
it's my like yeah. from a support standpoint it's my this is probably where i'm getting a lot of resistance either subconsciously right. or consciously flipping it back to the native american experience right as you're thinking about um again a lot of people focus on land acknowledgments either you know from a check the box standpoint maybe changing a mascot which a lot more professional teams and college need to change but checking the box mm-hmm. but it's deeper than just land acknowledgments the mascots like there's historical political geographical yes. implications that are all tied to this. I want you to speak to some some more of that because in our class on last week, I mean, you said it beautifully. I'm like, I had no clue Miami was a uh, uh, was formerly on a, a reservation or still mm-hmm. on a reservation. I had no clue. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to more, talk to us more about the geographic, political right. implications mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, very similar to with you formatting it that way of, yeah, education has been used to, de-indigenize or whiten Native American communities. So it's like, oh yeah, come to college, do these types of things. But it's like, okay, but the history was, if you do that, you are leaving your Native identity at the door or you can't be Native anymore if you pursue higher education in the U.S. college context because of, you know, the boarding schools of that's how it was done of we're going to cut your hair. We're going to make sure you're not speaking your Native language anymore, taking away anything that ties to your Indigenousness, essentially Indigenous identity. So that's also something that I grappled with and still grapple with of like, okay, yeah, we want people to come to college and do those types of things. But when they leave, are they still accepted by their communities? Or is it, all right, now you're seen as, oh, you did the white man's thing and we don't want you anymore. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's actually the case, but recognizing that's how people sometimes operate of, oh, you went against our culture almost of that's not necessarily seen as oh you go to college and you get a good job and that's what you do a lot of indigenous people well they go to college to learn things to then help their communities so Mm. that was something I was looking at of okay why are you majoring in what you're majoring in or you know how in athletics sometimes due to schedule student athletes aren't always able to major in what they want to major in because it doesn't mm-hmm. fit their athletic schedule due to required classes and required practices etc so if you're saying oh i want to major in environmental science so i can do xyz on my reservation back home or in my native community and we're like academic advisors like well, that's not going to fit your schedule. So you got to figure something else out. They're not going to want to do college. <laughs> like there's a, the purpose of going to college isn't always sports, how it is for a lot of student athletes of, I just want to keep mm-hmm. continuing and playing that. Like, no, this is a means to an end of, I want to use this to help my community. I recently talked to a former college basketball player who played in the NBA for a little bit, um, Damon Bell Holter, and he's from a indigenous community up in Alaska. And he talked about, he's like, basketball was my vehicle to do what I wanted to do by helping my community. Like basketball was just a means to an end. He's like, I wasn't passionate about basketball. It just opened the door for opportunities mm-hmm. for me to do what I wanted so it's not like oh sport is everything to me it's no their communities are everything to me them and they're able to use their sport 
to help. So we almost have to think about it differently in that regard because they're operating from a different knowledge space because sometimes indigenous knowledge space butts up against the western version Mm -hmm. and we're like oh well i remember learning and he said it's like it's easier to change an environment to fit a person than it is to change a person to fit an environment and i feel like that's all college is is we're trying to fit people into those cookie cutter boxes and especially for native student athletes that's not gonna work so Mm. you have to really change it up to where it actually make sense for them. And so that's what I hope to do in my work is help student athletes, indigenous student athletes find those places that do suit them and make sure that those colleges will support them in that regard. It's good. Last question before going to segment three, yo. Um you mentioned college choice with a thesis, right? You just gave an example around major selection. Uh, but what's next as you look into continue building out a robust program and and creating an environment for indigenous athletes to thrive? What's next in that process, that, that design process um, as you move forward in your career? Yeah, I think it's making sure that communities are included within that as well. Of part of the college choice part was also recruiting. Of some folks knew about the recruiting process, other people didn't. A lot of Indigenous people live in communities that aren't necessarily close to colleges or it's by tribal colleges and in places where, you know, it's different than probably you or me of like, oh, I've always lived like 20 to 30 Mm -hmm. minutes away from an airport, whereas Mm -hmm. they will have heard conversations like, oh, I'll fly into Phoenix, but then I have a three hour drive just home after that. I'm like, So being able to recognize, you know, if it's hard for the student athletes just to get home, coaches aren't going to want to do that to actually go into these communities and figure that out. So it's not only you selling the school or selling yourself to the student athlete, but you're having to sell it to their families and their communities. And I think that's part of why the University of Louisville worked for Shoney and Jude was they would go to their reservation in, in Oregon and like say hello, see that, you know, Shoney was one of the best high school players coming out of high school. So it was like, all right, well, everybody wanted her, but U of L got her. I'm like, well, how did that happen? She moved 2,000 miles away from home. And it's like we had a some sort of a community, but also recognize like, hey, we're going to operate to where we have resources for you and can help you in that regard to where you do feel supported here. So, and recognizing once you get one, you're getting the community. Like when Shoney and Jude would go to away games, like at Syracuse or other places, like fans of the other teams were staying back to get their autographs and supporting them. Like I kind of want to do a study on the times that Shoney and Jude were at away games. Did the attendance increase for those games because there was mm. native people from those communities were coming because they wanted to see Shoni and Jude? Like, I really want to look up to see if that's a thing or not. Um, I feel like it is, but I can't prove that yet. <laughs> but mm. so, recognizing you're not only getting that community and their family, you're getting an entire community with Shoni and Jude, it was 
Indian country essentially was cheering for them. Of like, I've never seen so many people cheering for U of L before. And it's like wow. it's amazing as a U of L fan. Um, but recognizing, you know, we want to keep that going. Like I can name on really one hand how many D1, maybe power five basketball players that I can name who came after Shoney and Jude, I kind of focus on basketball. There's a decent amount in like softball. I think softball is the largest number of Native American um, women in that sport. And that's football for men, but recognizing, okay, we don't always hear about them. So how can we support them? Or maybe they're not outward about their native identity, but you know, Shoney and Jude were because there's a whole documentary done about it, <laughs> but other people may not be outward about it either. So you can't just look at, the check boxes of, oh, they said American Indian or Alaska Native on their demographic forms when they came into college. So they're Native and we're going to do all this support for them. Like it can't be blanket. It needs to be, all right, we recognize you come from this specific tribe. Mm-hmm. How does that operate? You know, a Plains Indian versus somebody from the Pacific Northwest. Those are drastically different communities and drastically different indigenous tribes so you have you can't treat them the same way you can't really do that pan indigenous Mm. resources necessarily sometimes it can work but i think it's better to say like hey we recognize you come from this community like you know not all native americans love fry bread (laughs) that's not necessarily the the case but for certain communities that is kind of a larger common denominator but that was because of the trail of tears so again uh food that a lot of we almost associate with native americans is because all right on the trail of tears all they had was flour and something else and built a fire and was able to create fry bread so it's not really an indigenous dish the way we want to say it is it's because they were forced from their homes and that was all they could eat so that's a whole other thing too Wow. No, it's important to note, though. I mean, both from a language standpoint, but also contextual contextual to say, like, what 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 may we be saying or sharing that's perpetuating um, harm or creating mm-hmm. harm? Um, but, yeah, it's, it's important to note. But I do want to make sure that we have time going into segment three to really discuss how we can best support you, your work and your purpose journey. Uh, so whether that be from an advocacy standpoint, sharing um, knowledge standpoint, but how can we best support you, your work, Native American athletes, um, and your purpose journey as well? Yeah, I would say learning more about Indigenous cultures, whether that's the history or the communities of where you're from, where you currently live, kind of like land acknowledgments, but learning more about, okay, well, who are the tribes that were said in these land acknowledgments and where are they now because a lot of them are still around it's not like oh all native people are extinct or that i mean sadly there are communities that are extinct because of genocide that the government put upon them but there are a lot that are still around and just learning more about their experiences how can you support them are there native owned businesses that you can support through various avenues um on a sports side of things one social media piece that i always look at is indian sports so the letters indian sports um that's a twitter and also instagram social media website page that advocates for and just kind of advertises native americans 
in the sports that they're doing goes from little as you know kindergarten age children all the way up to like professional Native American athletes so learning more about oh this person is from this community and they just won their high school softball, you know, 3A championship, like, oh, that's cool. And in my brain, my brain goes to, oh, I wonder where they're going to go to college. But maybe they're not thinking about college. I don't know. So it's figuring out how can we best support Indigenous athletes in that space of, okay, I want to make sure that they are seen, they are heard, they're being broadcasted out so we can get over the hump of, oh, there aren't any. When there are, they maybe just aren't being publicized as much as we want them to. So recognizing, you know, tribal colleges, those are places that are just for Indigenous people. A lot of them have sports, but they operate at the NIIA level versus the NCAA level or their two-year colleges. So it's the NJCAA. So it's mm-hmm. those aren't places that we're seeing on ESPN or you mm-hmm. get in the app or whatever. Like you almost have to go to a specific school of like this random place that I've never heard of. And oh, well, here's a bunch of native student athletes of how can we support them in some way? Like I know the University of New Mexico actually did an NIL oh. deal where a local Native American business offered, I can't remember what it was. It may have just been gear or shirts or something to where it's like oh you can support these native athletes by wearing your turquoise shirts and that type of thing um supporting nike and seven which is nike's native american branch that all the proceeds of those um gear that's been promoted goes to the fund that funds native american um I think athletics and doing that in different communities, um, those types of things just to bring more awareness. Yes. But also just learning more about those communities. Like for me, it expanded my horizons around so much like learning the history of, Oh, that's why that's that name. Or, you know, 30 out of 50 States are technically indigenous names, but nobody thinks about that. (laughs) Or like your cities, those types of things. Like we're not constantly thinking of like, oh, you know, Ohio, that's the Seneca word for great river. Nobody knows what Ohio means in that regard. They're just like, Ohio, like, or Kentucky, like where I'm from, like any of those types of things, we are not thinking about indigenous culture and indigenous like language is all around us but it's been erased to where we don't know the reasoning behind it or anything along those lines so i think that's something of knowledge is knowledge is power you can potentially say Mm. in that regard but i think that knowledge around native athletes and being an advocate for them is helpful Mm. um but kind of getting to your question again on how people can assist me in my advocacy is like, if there are ways that I can help you in promoting different resources or, you know, I love doing research. Like I will look at a school's website and search (laughs) Native American or Indigenous just to see what pops up. And the amount of times where nothing pops up, I'm like, 
school, there needs to be something done. Or it's like, oh, it's just saying the data of how many students we have. Or it's not even the context of talking about, oh, this is centered around indigenous people. It's like someone just happened to say Native American in this article and that's why it popped up. Mm. So that's something that I'm passionate about. So if they're almost doing like a Native American cultural audit of mm-hmm. schools like mm-hmm. that sounds so fun to me <laughs> like all right well let's take mm-hmm. a deep dive let's learn how many native faculty members do you have how many native students do you have a native american studies program minor classes what does your school do during native american heritage month you should be oh, doing yeah. stuff outside of november too you know that type of thing um especially it was like oh you used to have a native american mascot hmm. so navigating those things so that's something i'm interested in so if anybody wants me to do that work i would love to do it and so that's what i've thinking about getting on that entrepreneurship train similar to how you do with international student athletes of how can I benefit or how can I help schools or whether it's K through 12, like post-secondary, what have you help you in that regard of, Hey, we need somebody who actually, I don't want to say actually cares about this, but who's interested and has the knowledge around native Americans to help us actually do good things versus like trying something and then being like, oh, you definitely didn't have an ally or somebody a part of that community in your corner when you were planning that. How many times that happens when we're mm. looking at marketing of something? We're like, oh, no black person was there when you did that or, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. that's something I would enjoy doing. So if any of the listeners want me to do that, I'd be more than happy to. Got a couple, I got a couple um, of suggestions I'm going to share with you after this uh, podcast is over. Uh, but let me ask you this before we bounce from here. Have you met Shoni and Jude yet? I have. So I actually ended up becoming kind of friends with Shoni while I was, while she was at UofL. Um, I will say, figured it out because she was dating somebody on the softball team. And so I started going to softball games. And that's how I ended up becoming friends with her. But also okay. UofL softball, like that also, like high schools struggle mental health wise too mental health just whew, life has been struggle um, apparently and but going to UofL softball games also got me through some tough times too so because of Shoni and her dating somebody on the softball team that also helped me so again hey. college sports just be pouring into me so much that I'm like my life would be so different if college sports was not in my life that's yeah. something else I forgot to mention was for my common application when we were applying to Ohio State, the essay was, where do you feel the most content and write about that? And I wrote about sporting events. Like, literally, that's how yeah. I got to college was talking about my love for going to sports. Like, sports, so yeah. legit, this is my life. Wow. Wow, Amari, phenomenal episode. Like I said, I'm excited to share this um, very soon. But I think what you've described as far as um, urgency for support, acknowledgement, amplification, um, is very clear. Like I said, I think there's a few people who will listen to this episode that will immediately hit you, but there's a couple people right now I'm thinking, like, I'm going to send to you right after this episode is over. Um, but I do appreciate your time. I look forward to seeing his work, you know, continue to grow because um, it's now it's here. Everything everything is here for sure. Your work, too. We're doing it, man. I think it's yeah right, let me get off this mic before i say too we much <laughs> we, we are walking but for everyone else man thank you for tuning in to another, to another episode 
I would walk with TAB, definitely connect with Amari because they're very serious and that they will help to um, support the work that you are committed to doing, um, supporting Native American athletes, but also indigenous communities, uh, both local to your community, but across, uh, quite honestly, this world. Um, just a few episodes left, man, as we close out season five of this season, season five of this podcast, of course. Um, but can't wait, man. See y'all next Tuesday. But as always, until then, we walk in. Peace.